Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to part two of CSM After Dark. This was recorded back uh, a couple of weeks ago at CSM in New Orleans, and it was a the brainchild of Sean Hagee, and this year was all about diversity, letting people of different backgrounds, races, sexual orientations tell their stories about what it's like being the physical therapy profession. It was an honor to be there. This is part two of that discussion, so if you missed part one, please go back and listen to the CSM After Dark part one because there you're going to get all of these wonderful women's stories. So who's on the panel? Dr. Uchenna Osai, Dr. Lisa Van Hoos, Sherry Teague, Dr. Rupel Patel, and Dr. Monique Carruth. So if you want to hear their stories of what it's like being a minority in the physical therapy profession, please go back and listen to episode uh, part one of CSM After Dark. Today is a continuation of that conversation. And next week, we're going to get all of the ladies' final thoughts on this panel and how we can move forward in the physical therapy profession. So uh, continue to enjoy these episodes, and hopefully this furthers the conversation. Thank you. <laughs> so I, I actually want to address what Lisa said about holistic admissions, because I'm on faculty as well. And my loud and proud student is sitting right here in front of me that's in charge of this. The yes. this, you know, but, you know, I work in a faculty with, um, let's see, I'm Asian Indian, we have a Taiwanese, we have a black man, and a Puerto Rican gentleman who's uh, uh, leaving us somewhere else. So, you know, I, I sit there in faculty meetings when we discuss issues that students are having, and, um, you know, my Taiwanese colleague that chooses to not say anything, although she gets very livid about a lot of things. My black male colleague chooses to be very PC. Politically correct. Yes, very, very much so. And like, you know, your mother taught you. Um, of course, my Puerto Rican colleague will say all kinds of things, and I will too. And, um, but you know, the thing is, most of my faculty is white yeah. and female, and they come from privilege. Yeah. And I probably would have been similar because most Indians are come from privilege, yeah. but I did not. And so, you know, when I try and have those conversations, like, you know, are, are we looking at like what's going on with the student? You know, I, you know, it's like, well, you know, they're here. We need to treat them just like everyone else. You know, and you know, everyone should have the same opportunity. It's the equality versus equity. Yes. You know, and it's so hard to explain equity yeah. sometimes to people. And I, and I, you know, sometimes I get very frustrated and, and my black male colleague, you know, has been through a lot. He, he just says ripple, we just have to kind of take it like one battle at a time, you know? And sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. And I, I just think he's being too quiet sometimes. Um, but it's really hard. Like Lisa, it's really hard because I think people are not as woke in, in most of our faculties, they're not. And, you know, I, I can't go into too much detail, but, you know, again, we had a young man, African-American, who was struggling, 
And when I finally sat down with him and had a talk, and I'm like, okay, I went to bat for him in front of my whole faculty. They, they were livid with me, livid with me. They could not understand why the decision I made, I made. And I said, I will take him on. I, he is my project. He is my project. And I sat that young man down and I said, I put my line, I, I put it out there, you know. And so, and I go, you need to be honest with me and tell me. And he's like, nobody's ever listened to him. Nobody's ever listened, you know. And that surprised me, really surprised me because I, I love my colleagues and I think that they do a great job, but there's just some things that they don't understand. And so, and, and it's, you know, what, Wayne tells me it's not their fault, people. They're not black. They're not brown. They're white, you know. And, you know, but that, that is a big issue. So, you know, the whole idea of holistic admission is great. But, like, how do we get there? How do we get the culture, the mind shift? You know, because it really has to be about a mind shift, you know. And I don't know. Fear drives a lot of people. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what it is. But, you know, the idea is good. But I think we have a long ways to go before we get there in most of our programs. We need Well, and, you know, and it, the funny thing is, like, patient care, I see people are fine with that. Like, you know, they're very culturally sensitive. I and mean, we live in Houston. I mean, you know, you come across all kinds of people. But it's, it's, it's in the academic setting. Like, you know, the standard has to be the same for everyone. And it's like yeah. everyone doesn't have the same, yeah, yeah you know, we, we privilege and a, barriers. We come from a place of scarcity. Um, to that point of cultural sensitivity, uh, my perception is that we have taken one of the worst biases of the 90s of colorblindness, yep. and we're still yep. doing it 28 years later. Yep. The music was fantastic in the 90s. Yeah. R&D. Nice, right. Hashtag Ryan's PT. Smells like PT spirit. But we've taken color blindness and we have sprinkled on top this fetish of grit. And I guess I'm curious from the panel, uh, if my role tonight is to sit back, be quiet, respectful, and listen. How how do we how do we stop that shit? Don't be don't be respectful. How do we stop it? Talk about it. Talk about it. Like I. I mean, within because I will say, I, I mean, my, my perception is that that's a huge stumbling block because when we say cultural sensitivity, I agree, but I think it's cultural humility right. is what we should be after. Right. Um, but how do we get there when the dominant orientation is toward making white males feel better, and then sprinkle on top grit and perseverance, which seems like another setback for optimal cultural sensitivity. Can I, can I say something as the only Caucasian up here? It's up to y'all. Guys like y'all are the only ones that can change minds. You've got to be loud. You've got to be insistent. Because as a woman, I'm less than. I get hysterical. I get emotional. I get all these things that are negative connotations. Whereas you're passionate. You're this. You're that. I'm, I'm a bitch. <laughs> if I'm too assertive. So I can't speak to you because of that. You have to speak to each other. And it's good that we have 10 or 15, 20 guys in here. You're hearing this. Go tell 20 guys. Let them 20 guys tell 20 guys. Raise those young men to be different. I've got four nephews that I'm very close to. I had never tolerated a minute of it 
out of them. And I told him, you know, when you get big enough to kick my ass, trust me, you'll know I was there. Okay, so that's the only thing that's going to happen. Our, our country has to have a fundamental shift from patriarchy to inclusiveness. And, and that until you guys are willing, and I'm not saying president company, company excluded because you're here. You know what I mean? Thank you. But until you guys can, can start that movement with that Y chromosome <laughs> and that light skin tone, it's not going to change. I agree with her. Um, because even though the, the profession is predominantly white female, a lot of the guys, white guys, Todd, Jerry, Chris, I'm going to call you guys out. I'm going to call you guys out. Um, you guys are usually chosen first to be like presenters and experts or gurus and stuff like that. And um, the women are often afterthoughts or we, they're going to be like, oh shit, oh, we didn't include a woman. Let's try to reach out rapidly to one and see if they would accept. Um, and that has been an issue. Um, I'm surprised we didn't have, besides uh, Sherry, but like someone from like women's uh, PT group even talking about that because it has been a struggle for, for them to, to get included on podcasts or even uh, speaking opportunities and they have made it a point to remind um, them that they're qualified uh, speakers. Um, I was reading a chat recently. I think Sean posted something. I have two examples. And there was someone who made the comment that sometimes he felt that inclusion would exclude somebody who was more qualified. And actually, that ticked me off. Because... Why would you assume because I'm black or someone is Mexican or Filipino, they're not as qualified as the next uh, Caucasian person? Um, you're basically assuming that affirmative action is what got me my degree or got me here. And, and I'm like, really? <laughs> How much we have to... My parents always told us that no matter what setting you're in, you have to work twice as hard, three yeah. times as hard. Three times. And I'm, I'm like, God, why do you trust me so much? Like, seriously? It's, it's like a burden because they keep telling you, you're representing us. You're representing the, your grandparents. You're representing the village. You're representing the country. So you're like, can I just be me? So it's a lot. Um, another example, and... <laughs> I had to really laugh at this one. Um, a, a group of guys that I respect, they chose a word that, um, to advertise one of their events that says mamas. And um, <laughs> mama, mama, I'm sorry, my accent. Mama. Uh, mama. Mama's clinic. Not your mama's. M O M M A. Yeah, not your mama's clinic. Not your mama's clinic. So when I first saw it, I. I was a bit ticked off earlier because um, I was at a meeting and uh, someone referred to uh, the husbands of my colleagues as baby daddies. Um, but they're all married, happily married with their kids. And he chose to use the word, instead of saying husband, he said, your baby daddies. And I was like, is he freaking serious? And again, I said what I had to say and he was like, Chill out. It was just a joke. You know, I just wanted to connect with you guys. And I'm like, 
So um, I got up and I left. And as soon as I opened Facebook, I saw it and I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> so I, I made the comment. Um, but I was so happy that the gentleman actually changed the name. And that was huge because some people would be like, forget it. I don't care. You, got, you women are just being bitches. Uh, excuse me. I hope mommy does. <laughs> a lot of them will just say that you guys are being too sensitive and they will just go about their merry way. But they decided to change it and that was huge. So it starts with Todd, Chris, Jerry, mm-hmm. Mike, Jimmy, John, Jamie, Jason. Who else is in the back? You. <laughs> Tommy. Okay, it starts with you guys, because if you guys are showing that example that you're willing to make that change, other people are going to follow too. Okay? And Patrick, you too. So, that's my piece. All right, I think Sean handed me some questions, so uh, we'll go with that. Um, This one says, just a better word for inclusion. And so, I think, uh, I I will start by saying that, I think we interchange diversity, inclusion, and equity a lot, but they are not interchangeable terms. They're completely different terms. And I think if each one of us just took a moment and defined what diversity is for us, um, defined what inclusion and equity is for us, and really think about it, the, it would be different, okay? And some of the simplest thing, I was reading this blog, so I'm gonna quote some I, of the I, stuff. I, you know, that's why you I, went first, girlfriend, yeah, you're all prepared. The, okay. you're <laughs> but you know, I, I like this definition. It was actually from, uh, it was a blog about um, HR and workforce in the high-tech industry in Silicon mm. Valley. And you know, diversity and inclusion with Apple and Google has been a big issue. And so, you know, the simplest thing it said is diversity is the presence of differences. I'll suck that in. Diversity is the presence of differences. So we have diversity of species within an ecosystem. We have diversity of race, gender, uh, identities, right? Nationality, ethnicity, opinions, experiences. That's all diversity. And then when we talk about inclusion, it's about people of different identities feeling and or being valued leveraged and welcomed within any given setting. PT school, workplace, community, okay? So inclusion is about people of different identities feeling and or being valued, leveraged and welcomed in a given setting. That's inclusion. It's not the same as diversity. And the the quote I love here is that diversity is being asked to the party because of your differences. Inclusion is being asked to dance. That's a good one. Like that just makes sense. Like you just yeah. like, you look at all these definitions and I'm like, that just makes sense. Yes, it's about people with different identities feeling and being valued and leveraged and welcome. It's being asked to dance, not just to the party. That's the difference between diversity and inclusion. And then when you talk about equity, because equity and equality, people really get that mm-hmm. confused. And the simplest definition was equity is really an approach to. I can't read my head. I can't either. I was just looking at it. I can't say Okay, Okay, approach that, shoot, I got to hear Let me help you out. Approach that endures everyone has, oh, approach that assures everyone
everyone has access to same opportunities. Mm -hmm. Recognizing that advantages and barriers exist, that as a result, we all don't start from the same place. Sure. And that's the hardest part. I mean, I can tell you, in holistic admission, that's the hardest part. It's because everybody's equal. We're all equal. There's no color. You're not black, I'm not brown. You're not yellow, you're not white. We're all equal. We all have the same standards for admission. They don't realize that there's barriers that exist that result in that we don't all start in the same place. That's yeah, what I, being I, woke is. I disagree. I think we are fully aware. You think so? I, I do, I, and here's the reason why. Because where you decide to live, where you decide to raise your children, where you worship in the morning are all decisions. So you are fully aware of differences. You are fully aware of disparities. But we turn in, I t we, we, we play blind. I think there are a lot of people playing possum. But we are 100% aware of what's going on. I really truthfully think we do. But I, I feel like there are times where it is politically correct to be like, oh no, we're all equal. We're all Americans, right? We're all Americans. My son can't run in my neighborhood, right? And I live in a decent neighborhood. Now, granted, I'll be the first to admit I'm like three of maybe 30 people that are of color that own a house in that neighborhood. But we also have apartment complexes and villas, and so we have a high rental population. So my community gets over-policed. So my son cannot run in the neighborhood because he gets stopped by the police. So we require him when he is out to take his college ID, right? Because at least that way they know you're trying to make your life better and maybe they won't shoot you, right? And the, the sad thing is, is when I talk to other people in my community about it, they're like, but you chose to live over there, right? Mm -hmm. So they need to police that neighborhood. So I'm like, I, I call bullshit on that. I think people are fully aware of what's mm -hmm. going on. But as long as I am comfortable, I, I'm okay with you being uncomfortable. And I really think that as a society and as a profession, we lack <coughs> compassion. Compassion is the manifestation of empathy, and we lack it. I don't know. I think that, I think that discrimination, bias, all of it has come from being Tanya Harding to Jackie O. It's evolved. It's now so sophisticated. It's so exquisitely pervasive. Oh, absolutely. It's just, it's like this beautiful disease. Mm -hmm. It is pathological. And, and it's pathological yeah. and it's very hard. That's why it's hard to tame. That's why it's hard to answer your question. It's in our blood. I mean, dang, like I, I mean, I was talking at this conference a, a month ago, Graham Sessions. I, have, I did the implicit bias test like a few years ago. I had a bias towards white men. I was like, what the? F <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I did. That was legit. You know, now it's like now it's pretty equal. I'm a black woman in America. How the hell did that happen? Right? And so I think I think that I can only imagine for other people, but even when you think about the levels of discrimination that we experience, whether that's, you know, from a cultural social social aspect from an interpersonal aspect with our family from the internal what we think of ourselves and that's part of it that's what all of us were talking about is that struggle where we're like am i crazy i'm doing all this and still i have to op be at 150 
to be considered in this mediocre conversation that I'm having, right? And I have so, to tell you, I know somebody very personal and close that today heard a conversation, heard, it wasn't today, it was last night actually, where they were told, because you're a woman, you're never gonna win. Hmm. And it's a leader in, in this, in the physical therapy realm. And she happens to be a leader with, with men on, on the same level. You'll never win with those guys. What do you say to that? And Bullshit. This, this particular, this particular person is 150% better, is smarter, is all the things that we have as women that we have to do and we have to, to, to emulate. And she was told, you will never win. And that was from a very close friend who you would trust their opinion. Well, I think it goes back to what Lisa said, is that we sometimes are our worst enemies. And instead mm -hmm. of supporting and encouraging, you know. But it was like, a man who told her that. It wasn't yeah. even, a, it was a man who is a close friend and said that to her. And, you know, this person, never, not going to quit, trust me. Right. Okay. But that gentleman saw it for what it was. It's a good old boys club. You're trash. You're, you're not going to win. But I'm going to speak to something about the, the levels real quick. I have a niece who grew up in rural central Florida. In the county, there's still a hanging tree. Everybody knows where the hanging tree is. There was a sign that used to read, don't let the sun set on your black ass. There's one black resident in this town, one. And it's the foreman on a beef ranch. And he's the only one that's accepted to live there. So my niece, who's married to my nephew, grew up in this county, lived her whole life in that county. Sweet, this person, my niece has not, not a mean bone in her body is not what anybody would consider to be racist at all. My nephew is a physician. Born a poor white boy, became a physician. His residence, his fellowship actually, is in Memphis, Tennessee. Y'all ever been to Memphis, Tennessee? Mm -hmm. Memphis, Tennessee is a lot like New Orleans. Mm -hmm. It's extremely, extremely diverse. And yes, they'll sometimes choose their music over their infrastructure. <laughs> And they'll damn sure choose their barbecue over their infrastructure, won't they, Tommy D? <laughs> okay? They live in a luxury apartment complex that is gated. But guess what? There's people of color in Memphis. And they're everywhere. And they're wonderful. And the neighborhood she lives in is a brand new neighborhood with outdoor malls, with car dealerships, with brand new restaurants, with brand new hotels. And she says to me, Aunt Sherry, you may not want to stay over here. It's a little ethnic. It's a little bit hood. It's a little ghetto. It's a little ghetto. <laughs> and I thought I heard her wrong. <laughs> because I, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. I went to a school where I was the minority. And I'm like, this is a ghetto? This is my kind of ghetto. <laughs> we sat in the Cracker Barrel restaurant, and we were two of the four white people in the entire restaurant. And I thought it was awesome. So I said that to my nephew. I said, you know, Abby said that she thought this was a little ghetto. This is so not ghetto. It's not a, it's not a lower economic area is what she was implying. Because that's all she's ever heard. You see? So it's insidious. Like you're saying, it's insidious. It's this beautiful dance. 
And I don't think she even understands. I never did get a chance to talk to her. She does not have a clue, but my nephew does. And so I said to him, I said, what do you think? He says, I love it. And I said, you got to get with, you got to get with her. And the unraveling of that, of years, you know, it takes years. And, and that's a that's a great example of somebody who didn't want to be raveled. You know what I mean? She never wanted to be raveled. She never wanted to be in that spot. But that's just what she knows. And that's what's going to have to be undone. Well, and then if you bring that in, then you have to go back to, like, just how we draw all kinds of lines right. in terms of just geographically oh. in this country. Yeah. You know, and, you know, that that separation exists. Right. And... Um, and, and that's what creates those divides mm-hmm. because, you know, and you see neighborhoods transitioning. You know, mm-hmm. I, I grew up in Houston since I came to America. My dad moved us to the best school district in all of the Houston area because he that's what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And when I moved back to Houston, uh, I went to my old high school to speak about physical therapy. I had to walk through a metal detector. And, you know, and it was, again, my brother who said, oh yeah, you know, that, that area is totally ghetto now, you know, and because it, it's, it, and it's like, because we divide things, you know, all the suburbs, the wealth has moved this way now, you know, and, and so that creates that, that creates that. I mean, I, you know, Fort Bend County is the most diverse county in the United States, and yet the east side of Fort Bend is completely different than the west side, and I live right on the east-west border, but on the west side, just, just west, you know, and it's very different. It's very different, you know, and our school has, and my daughter is 16, she goes to a school with 33%, you know, that are lower socioeconomic. And when she's in classes with kids that are not as privileged as what her parents are, you know, and she talks about, well, mom, I can't believe it. The teacher gave us three days to do this homework. It took me one day. I don't know why these kids don't do it. You know, so it's that pervasiveness. Mm -hmm. And I have to sit down and talk to her and say, Okay, well, do you know about their situation? Do you know about them as a person? Like, you know, what's going on at home? Like, don't assume, you know, yeah, you're the smart Asian kid now, you know, and you have all these smart Asian friends, but don't assume that that person doesn't know and they're lazy or they don't want to do. And so it has been a process because it is pervasive. I don't know where mm-hmm. they learned that. Yeah. They, she didn't learn that from me, mm-hmm. but she learned that somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that is something that is of concern, you know, that we have a whole society that's built around. I mean, heck, in Texas, let's talk about, you know, our districts and what Tom DeLay did and gerrymandered us. Mm -hmm. Right. And now we've got congressional districts that, you know, is never going to, you know, it's like, what are we going to do? You know, but that that's all pervasive things that I think add to the problem. So it's going to take a long time, Mm -hmm. but I think it takes all of us being advocates, you know, yeah. and, and fighting the good fight. You know, I, I tell my students, like, direct access in Texas, I've been fighting it. I've been going to the Capitol every year since, ni- every other year in Texas since 1999. And a couple of years ago, students were like, why do you do it, Dr. Patel? I mean, like, it's a lost cause. Like, they don't listen to you. Look at all these people. And I'm like, mm-mm, you can't give up. Nope. Yeah. Because if you're not there <coughs> saying it, then, you know, out of sight, out of mind. You right. have to be there. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.